0: Our scripture text is again from James chapter 2. And I want to read again these words that I've been reading for the past three weeks or so. Beginning in verse 14 of chapter 2 of James. what does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God, you do well. even the demons believe and tremble. But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Now as we return again to these precious words about faith that we've been examining over these past few weeks, may we recognize in these words a very ordinary circumstance of life that takes place all around us daily. And that is that of real basic human needs. Real basic human needs. Here in these words, those basic human needs is a brother or sister is naked and is destitute of daily food. And then also, may we consider in these words the choices. The choices that you and I are faced with making as we are actually confronted then by those needs. And especially... What will our faith tell us to do? What will our faith tell us to do when we're confronted with those basic human needs? As we read these words, we're reminded also of a central theme of understanding that keeps coming to the forefront. And that is, as we work out this faith that Christ worked into us in our salvation, there must of necessity be a change that emerges within our soul, within our behavior, that the gift of faith that we received that first moment when we were born again from above must become increasingly evidenced by real change, real change within our soul. And again, change within our behavior, change that is so evident that it can be clearly witnessed by others and by the people around us, especially who know us best. Else, as he warns us here, our faith, our faith may be useless. It may even be dead. And he wants us to examine ourselves because there are changes that will take place within us when we are born again from above. He tells us in several places in Scripture, I have two of them here, Matthew 7, Jesus said simple words, he said, you will know them by their fruits. We will be known by our fruits. And in 2nd Corinthians 5.17, we read, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Behold, all things have become new. From that first moment that we received the Spirit of Christ into our soul, we actually became, you actually became a brand new creature. Do you believe that? We are brand new creatures. We're changed, forever changed. And again, that change is so real that those who know us best will be able to look at us and say, there's something different, something different about him, something different about her. What is it? What is it that takes place that brings this change within our souls? There are many things, I'm sure, all of them from God. But I especially like God's use of the word light. We're studying that a little bit, and we're going to be studying it more in John chapter 1 in Sunday school. I like the word light and what light does within your and my life. We're told there in John chapter 1 and in other passages like it that that Jesus is the light. And I'd like to emphasize that he is called the light. He's called the light. The word the meaning that Jesus is a light that is like no other. A light that is like no other. He's a light that shines forth and out from him so pure and so holy and so powerful that no darkness anywhere can withstand its power. And as his light enters into your and my soul, it dispels all those forms of darkness that once resided there, especially the darkness that where sin abides. I know that darkness, that darkness is so widespread and so pervasive. It not only abides within unbelieving souls, It is everywhere, all around us, engulfing the world, concealing the ways and the activities of sin, blinding the eyes of unbelievers, preventing them from knowing that the deeds that they are doing are sinful or evil, preventing them from knowing that that person in front of them that has a dire need really has one. They can walk right by them. That darkness is so common that no one in the unbelieving world even knows that it exists. They simply walk in it every day. They live and breathe and have their being there in that darkness, thinking that that darkness is normal. And again, never realizing that they're in it. And it's in that darkness that enables some people, as I said a moment ago, to walk right on by other people who are suffering and not even be aware that those people are in need. But thanks be to God as you and I surrender our hearts and our lives to Christ in salvation. And as we begin to work out that faith that Christ worked into us in our salvation, our eyes are opened and that special light of Christ shines into the darkness and he enables us to see things that we have never seen before. Things that others can't see. Things that others can't see. Enabling us to see the needs and the sufferings of our brethren. Enabling our spirit to have compassion that we never had before that we never had before. And with that compassion, then finding ourselves wanting to help those people. Behaviors that we never had before. Think for a moment, folks. In those times when you have reached out to help someone in need, did you assume that it was simply something within you that you thought up all by yourself? I love to look and see the providential hand of God. Because too often as we decide that we're going to do some good work of righteousness, that we thought of it. May I suggest that while, yes, you and I do those good works ourselves, that compulsion within us to do that good work, it came from that light of Christ that now lives in you and me who believe. Because that's what He does. That's what He does, and that's what His light does as we live with Him daily as our Lord. And again, your doing of those acts of mercy and compassion, they're all a part of those many changes that God wants to wrought within your and my life and soul through the faith that He speaks about here, that He worked into our souls as salvation. But with that being said, may I hesitate here and say that there's also a difficult side to those many changes that God wants to work out within our souls. Yes, He's given us everything that we need for life and godliness, but our old self, our old self, our old flesh still likes so many of those things and habits and behaviors that once were the normal desires of our hearts, the normal desires of our old self. And our old self doesn't want to give up those old desires. Unfortunately for our weird soul, the sin nature that once resided within and ruled over our souls and had access to us then still has access to our flesh. And it still desires to have control over us, much as it did before we were saved. But with most all of us, there's more than that taking place. Most all of us have an affinity and attachments to old former sinful habits and behaviors that still lingers within us. Do you have some of those? Do you still want to do some of the things that you used to do? Do you still think the same way in some cases when you see that person in need there in front of you? We still have affinities and attachments to those old former simple habits lingering within us. And they keep us too busy and distracted to see the better things that we could be doing that God has arranged for us to do. I have a good friend. She was a student at French Camp. She has such an affinity to her old habits that she gained in her young adult years, attachments to alcohol. I know also of former drug addicts, former practicing homosexuals, former gamblers, and on and on. Those old habits, those old affinities that they had before Christ came in and saved them, they still have affinities towards them. And unfortunately, while salvation does free a person from the actual control of their old sinful nature, salvation does not wipe away the memories and the affinities that a person might still have that are hidden there within the recesses of their soul. And too often, as with this person I spoke about a moment ago, she's in rehab right now, and she's in her mid-50s. Many times, those old memories and affinities They come along at the wrong time in a person's life. The old dead sin nature seems to rise back up again. And then they get plunged right back into the same old sinful ways of life that they had before they were saved. The scriptures speak about three powerful enemies of our soul. The world, the flesh, and the devil. And all three of those enemies, they know our secrets. They lived with us so long that they got to know the secrets of our soul. They know a person's weaknesses. They know how to continually feed that person's sinful appetites with whatever sins fits their character. Sometimes it's just depression. Sometimes it's just believing that what they have is not good enough. And so they become those people who are the ones that are destitute and without provision that you and I are being called to help. But all those things, whether we be that person that's in destitution or we be the ones walking up to them, we need to understand that there is a better thing that we are being called to that of working out our faith as God would have us to do. And just also, those sinful behaviors and habits don't have to be outward and blatantly sinful to such an extent that other people are able to see them very easily. Quite often, and this is so with my own. Many of those sinful ways are well concealed from the people around us. Sometimes even from our own selves. You may have some of those. Sins like anger. For most of my life, anger was a continual uh, sin. Lust, pride, bigotry, covetousness, selfishness. On and on, these private sins that eat away at our souls and keep us from doing those better things of faith. And again, may I remind us that these words from the Apostle James are written to believers. Believers like you and me, they are saved just as we are. And so we must understand that even now in our own lives, our own sinful appetites will often not just go away as we wish they would, but they will continue to gnaw away at our souls trying to drag us back under their control. Do you have that taking place in your life? Those same three enemies, by the way, the world, flesh, and the devil, they will never quit. They really do seem to even work even harder. They'll return daily, often minute by minute, to work their evil magic within us. And even though they probably know that they cannot take control of us again as they did in the past, they might simply settle for at least making our lives miserable. Sin is that kind of enemy. In an earlier message, I recounted for you the suffering that the Apostle Paul endured in battles that I'm speaking about here today, where sin raged within his flesh, his spirit warring against his flesh, his flesh warring against his spirit. In Romans chapters 6, 7, and 8, and I'd invite you to read those, there God reveals to us that often torturous sequence of sufferings and then relief that Paul experienced, and perhaps it's what you and I experience also. There in Romans chapter 6, Paul acknowledged that, yes, he knows that he is fully saved, eternally saved, and that sin cannot control him any longer. Let me read those words for you. This is Romans chapter 6, verse 10. The death that Christ died, he died for sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you, and he's talking about us, so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. And then listen to this. He gives a command that you and I don't always believe is possible. He says, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Says another thing. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. And listen to this, for sin will no longer have dominion over you. Do you believe that? How often have you uttered the words, I couldn't help myself, or some form of those words? Here in these words, the Apostle Paul fully understood that in Christ, he and consequently you and I have been delivered from any further control of our sin. Sin no longer is our master. As it was before we were saved. But then he goes and gives us Romans chapter 7. Let me read those words for you. He says, But why do I keep doing the things that I do not want to do? The good that I will to do, I do not do. But the evil I will not to do, that I practice. Now if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. Do you hear the struggle? I find then a law that evil is present within me, the one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man, but I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. Can't you feel the struggle taking place? Why am I continuing to do the things that I do, the things that I know are wrong, and then he says in verse 24, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And then his answer, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Folks, thanks be to God. The Holy Spirit is always at work to help us in our distress. Here in these words, the Apostle Paul is under this relentless attack from his flesh, from within his flesh. And it's also clear that the Holy Spirit is just as much relentless in his working within Paul's soul to bring him back. And he brings him to the only one who can rescue him from the clutches of sin. And that's the Lord Jesus. Those words again. Oh wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Precious words. And then the very next verse, which is chapter 8 of Romans, he gives probably the most precious words that grace all of Scripture. Romans 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Folks, those are some of the most precious words that we could ever understand. Speaking earlier with one of y'all, how we can begin to feel like we can never quite get past sin. We walk away believing that we're still so wretched. But here, in these words of Romans 8, is relief. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Those are precious words. They're assuring us that though we suffer so many of these struggles every day and we battle with the world and the flesh and the devil, we are ultimately lovingly protected and relieved from them all. And especially from the eternal penalties and consequences of sin. That was paid for by the blood of Christ when he died on the cross for us. He paid it all. As the song that we sing often, Jesus paid it all. He truly did. And praise be to God. But I must pause here and ask you again, as I did a moment ago. Do you personally and individually, do you believe these words? Do you really and truly believe that now, though you struggle daily, as Paul did, with the attacks and temptations of sin, that in Christ Jesus, you truly have been set free from sin and from your bondage to it, that sin no longer has control over you. Do you believe that you can actually say no to any sin? Do you believe that? A lot of folks in these modern churches don't believe that. But I believe what the Scripture says, and that is that yes, you and I can say no to any temptation that comes to us. And I ask you, do you really believe that to be true? Because these scriptures tell us that it's true. You should believe it. I should believe it. Because they' are words of God and God is trustworthy to believe. Now, with all that being said and fully known to us, we'll also acknowledge and accept that this battle with sin that the Apostle Paul spoke about here will continue. It'll continue with us. But that causes us to ask the next question. Why? Why does God not mercifully and graciously also protect us from those temptations and those wiles of the devil that take place after we're saved, that continue on in this battle that we're having to work out our faith every day? And I must confess to you that I don't really know the answer to that question. I wish I did. I wonder about it myself. But this I do believe. This I do believe, I believe that it has everything to do with God's holiness. Why he still allows you and me to go through these temptations. It has to do with his holiness. In his holiness, God must allow all the members of the battle to have their free will behaviors. You, me, our friends, our enemies, our families, our neighbors, the world, the devil. All of the combatants are being brought to the table. And are being given choices to make. And we are the ones that have to make it. You and I are the ones that have to make those choices. God tells us that in Deuteronomy chapter 30. Now in these words, God is speaking to his children, Israel. He says in Deuteronomy 30 verse 15, See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil in that I command you today to love the Lord your God and to walk in his ways and to keep his commandments and his statutes. He says, I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life. Therefore, choose life that both you and your descendants may live. Folks, as these words tell us, God places these choices before each of us in our daily battle with sin believers and unbelievers alike. And you and I have our choices and you and I must make them. You and I must make them. But please understand that it is not random happenstance. As he tells us here in these words, each of these choices are being placed there by the providential hand of God himself. He says, I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you, each of these things. These are all coming to us from the providential hand of God. Yes, they might seem to be just ordinary circumstances of daily life. And they are. They are the circumstances of daily life. But they are also more. They're far more. They are the plans and the purposes of sovereign God being worked out. And they require choices be made by you and me. And that is the way that we work out our faith. That is the way that we work out this faith that God has worked into us. As we close, may I give us these scriptures again that we began with today. What is it, prophet, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them depart in peace and be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body. What does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. You and I may not recognize what's taking place in front of us all the time because it happens in real time. But this is an ordinary circumstance that he's talking about here where we have these people that are naked and destitute in need. They are... In front of us, whether we see them or not, they're in our neighborhoods, they're in our families, they're in our friendships. The question is, what are the choices that you and I are making? Are we, by ignoring those needs, freely admitting that our faith has some real dead spots within it? And again, as we learned in the first chapter of this book of James, God is always at work testing our faith, bringing circumstances and needs right in front of us, facing us with them. And asking, what are you going to do? What are you going to do with these opportunities that I've given to you? And folks, listen, faith does not just ask, what are we going to do with these opportunities that come to us? First and foremost, faith asks, what is God's plan and purpose for this opportunity? With each of these ordinary circumstances of life that come to us, our immediate prayer must be, oh dear Lord, as I Face this choice in front of me. Help me to be the person you want me to be. And help me to humbly do exactly as you would do. Listen as we close. This is from the Lord. See, I set before you today life and good, death and evil, in that I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways and to keep his commandments, his statutes, and his judgments. Let's pray.